listening to episode 28, chapter one of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Andre Snavely is passionate about reaching the lost with spirit-empowered training, resourcing, and equipping for Acts 1-8 Ministries. As an author, missionary, and theologian, Dr. Snavely and his wife Darla have been in ministry together for nearly 30 years. Serving in pastoral ministry and as a professor of Bible, theology, and ministry at Central Bible College and Global University. They currently live in Brussels, Belgium, where Dr. Snavely serves as professor of theology at Continental Theological Seminary. And Darla serves with Breaking Chains, a ministry that helps women escape prostitution. His book, Life in the Spirit, explores what the church would look like if Christians saw their lives as totally dependent on the Spirit's presence, to live as Jesus lived. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about some fairly deep theological issues. But don't let that turn you off, because this conversation is worth it. While the topic of Spirit Christology may sound intimidating, it has proven to be one of the most practical disciplines for exploring how to become more like Christ. And it starts by understanding who Christ was and how he was able to live the sort of life he lived. All right, Dr. Snavely, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Chris and Josh. Yeah. It's good to be talking with you. For those who don't know, Dr. Snavely was Josh and I's former professors, and then we worked together for a long time at uh, Global University, where Josh and I still work, and now Dr. Snavely's transitioned, and now he's working with Continental Theological Seminary in Brussels, Belgium. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember, a few weeks back we talked with Leo Sanchez about spirit Christology and the five models he had of of sanctification. Well, Dr. Snavely actually studied under Leo, or Leo was one of his professors in, in spirit Christology, and so you guys have done a lot of work in this area. And we thought it would be good to talk with you, especially today, because we wanted to talk about spirit Christology from a Pentecostal perspective. Um, we did want to get into some of that with uh, talking with Leo, but for time and being what it was, we just didn't make it to. So, hey, it's a great opportunity to have a Pentecostal theologian on and talk about Spirit Christology from this cool perspective. But first, let's define our terms, because that's one of the most important things that we can do when we talk about theology, because so much of theology, just we talk past each other because we're simply using the terms wrong. you got to get on the same page. Got to get on the same page. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Snavely, from your perspective, and this doesn't have to be a textbook definition, we could talk about it and unpack it a little bit, but what is Spirit Christology? Well... I appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, delve into Spirit Christology. I did work with Leo quite a bit. He was uh, finishing up his dissertation when I began mine, so he had quite a bit of influence on uh, my perception of Spirit Christology. But um, I would define, really, in a basic term, Spirit Christology would be the Spirit's work in constituting the person in the work, the personal identity of Jesus Christ. So really a Christology that is fully informed by the Spirit's work rather than what's been typical throughout Western theology, the history of Western theology, is that that Christ's own person and work has pretty much been explained simply as 
his incarnation of the Logos, or the Logos Christology, really, in simple terms. Um, and that comes from the book of John, mm-hmm. where Logos Christology has been dominant because Western philosophy has been most concerned with what we call ontology, what something is. Mm -hmm. So Jesus' identity was pretty much wrapped up in his own constitution of who he was, and that was mainly in relationship to the Father. Okay. Whereas spirit Christology has come along in the last few decades, really. It's been all through church history. Leo really dealt with that in his uh, book, um, you know, his initial book, and then, of course, he followed it up with uh, Sculptor... Excuse me. He followed that up with uh, Sculptor Spirit. But um, we've seen that spirit Christology as a discipline in its own right has come along in the last few decades because I think in Western world especially where our categories uh, that come from Western philosophy have begun to break down. Mm. And our certainty of what something is has now transitioned over in theology. And the separation of church and culture and all that has also lent itself to uh, spirit Christology. But simply that Jesus is defined as the Son of God the Father, in the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And that comes from the book of Luke, where in Luke 1, 26 and 27, when Mary asked Gabriel, how will this be? He says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, your child will be called the Son of God. Mm. So John identifies Jesus as the incarnation of the Logos, eternal Logos. Luke defines Jesus as the Son of God in the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So that really, I think, is the basic starting point of how we talk about spirit Christology. And so years ago, uh, with the help of several others, I really came to see that it really is like two sides of the same coin. So it's a complementary uh, aspect to both of these different ways of viewing Jesus Christ identity. However, Logos does has always done a great job of describing what Jesus is. Mm-hmm. From the Council of Nicaea, he's homoousius, same substance with the Father. Mm-hmm. That has a hard time transferring over to you and me yep. in the area of discipleship. Because it's obvious no one else has ever been born the incarnation of the eternal Logos. Yeah. So all through church history, uh, different traditions in their own ways have tried to say, how does Jesus' holiness and attributes and forgiveness and all the things that we have from Jesus Christ, from his identity, how do they transfer to us? Mm-hmm. Well, with the help of Leo Sanchez and others... Um, I begin to see that spirit Christology actually helps us do that better. How so? Because he's no longer only identified with what he is, but spirit Christology has to do more with how. Mm. So 
And when you say what, you, you're talking about the incarnate Son of God. Yeah, and what I mean by uh, divine, defining the constitution of his makeup. What makes and, him him. Right. Of his very essence. And that comes from ontology, ontos, the study of being. Mm-hmm. So ontology, logos, Christology, all go together in describing Jesus by what he is. And like I said, 1,700 years of that. And, and really the minimizing and the, the marginalizing or maybe the eclipsing mm-hmm. of how Jesus lived. So we always had the debates. Well, if Jesus was really the eternal Son of God, the incarnation of the Logos, how could he... Was it even possible that he could sin? Mm-hmm. That's the age-old question. And I've heard those debates and, and all, but they've almost always been uh, articulated from a Logos Christology. So you have to make these leaps from Jesus' identity to ours, because we're born in the flesh, we're born in sin, and so uh, we're never going to be constituted by the what mm-hmm. of Jesus. Yeah. So spirit Christology, though, comes along and says, in a certain way, um, we can go over to the other side of the coin and say that the spirit can do this work in our lives. Especially if Jesus is constituted in his makeup, not only by the Logos, but by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. In fact, Leo does a great job of even showing how that Logos Christology itself is a work of the Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, because then it's all Trinitarian from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So in recent years, then, even Trinitarian theology has gained a great momentum because it's not only in the abstract which today um, I think a lot of people are looking for not the abstract, but they're looking for uh, how do I live my day-to-day. Yeah. And, and there again, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to take the abstract and put it into your daily life of Christian growth and discipleship. Exactly. And that's what you guys are all about, and I appreciate your emphasis uh, in these podcasts of helping people with very practical skills, practical ideas that help them live a Christian life. And I think Spirit Christology helps us do that in a better way. And um, and that's my short answer. Yeah. No, I like that. And I appreciate I appreciate you saying that. And I think that's one of the, the biggest benefits of Spirit Christology is it gives us a really clear path forward for living out our daily life following Christ. But I want to back up to something that you talked about with the early councils and the early arguments where this sort of uh, Logos Christology came from, because obviously this conversation is already going to be pretty heady in, as far mm-hmm. as theological terms and concepts goes. So I want to underscore, though, how important a lot of these theological concepts are, because this is in the early church and in the first, second, and especially the third century, where all all of these practical issues were coming to a head, and they were asking these questions, I think, as a matter of of 
how do they live their life, right? And so, so that's how Logos Christology really started developing was as a response to a lot of these answers to say, well, could Christ really sin or not? And then, and then we sort of went down this rabbit hole of this is the way theology, at least in the West, started developing, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess without getting too deep into it, um, probably the main issue that Logos Christology developed out of was the churches really leaning pretty strong in toward the area of subordination, subordinationism. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that uh, the early church had a very narrative view of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that corresponded with the biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and then it also, you know, led to other um, problems, heresies, um, and um, of even... Um, you know, oneness doctrine where um, God revealed himself as Father, then the same identity as the Son, and then the Spirit, like three subsequent revelations. So they were dealing with all these Trinitarian issues as well. Mm -hmm. But the Logos Christology of the Nicene Council, and especially going back to the Cappadocian Fathers um, during that time, they're the ones that really began to develop a lot of this, Athanasius, uh, that um, to address the subordinationism, that especially in, in Arianism, was really the main heresy that they were trying to correct. Uh, Arian, Arius said that uh, there was a time when Jesus was not. Mm-hmm. In other words, God created the Son. And so what Logos Christology did by addressing uh, that issue, starting with John, was that the Logos could be identified as being eternally begotten from all time past, uh, being begotten from the Father. So he was eternally begotten from the Father, mm-hmm. not in a time, uh, at a certain time yeah. in the past. So all that to say, that's really how Logos Christology began to be so dominant and the Spirit's work then, in fact, it was a couple of councils later where they began to really start addressing the Spirit too. Mm-hmm. And so the same kind of issues came up with the deity of the Spirit. So they dealt with that later. But in the meantime, uh, the Spirit's work, even in um, the Logos um, taking on human flesh, mm-hmm. Uh, that even became minimized. Yeah. So it became almost, rather than a trinity, uh, a binity, mm. father and son. And so uh, I think as a Pentecostal, I can appreciate it, uh, and I think others uh, would too, that our Pentecostalism uh, is not simply... Um, what we've always focused on, the empowerment of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, and all that. But I think Pentecostalism is really enhanced by uh, having a very robust Trinitarianism. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in all these studies that I've done, it has helped me to um, see the significance of the Holy Spirit in ways that, that are more holistic of just all of life, all of thinking, all of my Christianity, all of my ministry, 
Um, and so I hope that, you know, I could pass that along. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So I want to underscore just how important, again, that theological process is, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what theology is, and it's it's sort of like the boring thing that people do when we're locked up in our studies and we're just sort mm-hmm. of thinking for no reason. And and that's not really true. Theology, right. the best theology, let me say it that way, because there are different versions, I suppose. Some theology is done like that, and, and we've even talked about how sometimes that can be very nauseating and mm-hmm. you just ask, like, what's the point? Sometimes maybe it's fun to do that if you're bored or just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> sort of... Needing, you know, needing something to help you fall asleep at night. That's right, that's right. <laughs> well, I think sometimes you end up, like... I don't think we can discount the value of going so deep that you almost lose track of yourself because when you're down in those places, you change, and then when you come back out, yeah. you've learned something that you could never learn That's any other true. way. That's true. That's point. true. And so I, I see a value in that anyway. I mean, if you look at the way... Uh, I don't know how I'm making this connection, but I'm going to make it. People go through like a deep depression. They mm-hmm. have a totally different understanding of emotional intelligence mm-hmm. than people who've never been Absolutely. through those kind of things. No, I think it's connected uh, Or sure, directly. a trial. Yeah, yeah. some yeah. kind of a yeah. 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 Because trial. in those times, we, we are brought up against questions about who God is and what his nature is and how he connects and relates to me in those those instances. And so all we're talking about is 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 the different version of the same thing of like who is who is god who is jesus is was, was he really a man or, or mm-hmm. was he not if if he's just a man then i yeah i could be like him and then this is my pathway to to become god myself right jesus did it i can do it and mm-hmm. but if he's all god and no man then it it totally changes the dynamic of how you follow and serve this guy you're calling lord and so i just think that's a really important thing to show that like these theological concepts, although we can get lost in them, were a direct result from deep questions that people were really mm-hmm. wrestling with at the time. It's tough sometimes to hear the word theology and not think, oh, that's not for me. But I want to challenge you to think about the value of theology, especially spirit Christology. Theology, our understanding of who God is, came about through years of struggle and study. People throughout church history have dedicated their entire lives to understanding more about who God is, and the theology they left behind affects the way we live our lives today. Whether you know it or not, you have your own theology. So today, start with this one question. What would my life look like if I had to depend on the Holy Spirit for everything in life? For the air I breathe, the food I eat, the things I say, and the things I do. And this is exactly what Jesus' life was all about. And this understanding is a spirit Christology. When you begin to answer this question and think about your life this way, it begins to change what you think about God and even what you think about yourself. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible 
if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. You can find out more about Andre and Darla's missionary work by clicking on the Facebook link in the show notes. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation where Andre explains why Jesus may not be the example for how we should live our lives. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Yeah.